0: I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 23. If, you, uh, if you're just coming straight from work, I would encourage you to grab the Pew Bible. It is page 884 this weekend where so much of our Christian faith is embodied and felt by the body. It feels appropriate to feel the physical pages in front of us. It's page 884, Luke chapter 23. I'll be starting in verse 26. It will be on the screen as well. I know we just sat down, but I would invite you to stand again as we read God's word and show of reverence for his word. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. For they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, the, watching. but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. this man has done nothing wrong and he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Have you ever had an experience that just left you feeling bewildered? A strange, perhaps awkward encounter that left you asking, what just happened? My mom, for many years, sang uh, solos in various performances in churches. And I recall her telling me at one point she had finished singing. She'd gone to the back of the church. And there was another solo singing at the time. And someone approached her as she was singing, right after she'd finished her solo. And looking onward at the, the individual singing said, Don't you wish you could sing like that? It's one of those strange experiences you just don't know how to respond to that It leaves you feeling a little scrambled inside saying what just happened I recall another time I got called into the financial office of the college I attended those are never good calls so I approached with a a degree of fear and trepidation of what news they would deliver to me as I made my way in I, I had a seat in the the vice president of um, finances laid out my state, what had been paid through scholarships, what through payments we'd made, and what my remaining balance was. And then he said, an anonymous donor has chosen to come in and pay the remaining balance for you. You don't know a thing. A completely different kind of experience for me, and yet one that felt, left me feeling a bit scrambled on the inside and saying what just happened the emotional tug was totally different but it was a equally unexpected encounter perhaps you felt that way this very week as you watched the cathedral at notre dame burn were you filled with with rage and anger of how this could happen or with sorrow about a lost icon of culture in the church Perhaps you, you had a feeling of a, some kind of a theological musing of the churches, the people, not the building, and how should I respond to this? And as that spire fell, you're left asking, what just happened in front of our eyes? See, I think we can all relate to these kinds of experiences where we have an expectation, and then when reality Occurs, it strikes a radically different chord. Nobody expects to see that building go up in flames in that way. And we find ourselves somewhat scrambled. We find emotions coming out that we didn't perhaps even know were there. We find ourselves in some cases compelled to take action, perhaps in defense of ourselves, perhaps lashing out in anger, or perhaps in gratitude. On the very first Good Friday, at Jesus' crucifixion, we find a similar range of emotions being conjured up in the characters who were there. We read about them in Luke 23. And so there's much that can be said on a Good Friday service. We could talk about the miracle that we often celebrate at Christmas, that God would become a man and become like us. We could talk about the perfect life of Jesus how he lived a life that we could never live. We could talk about the miracles he did, his love, his compassion that is shown for humanity. We could talk theologically about all of the ways that Jesus death paid for our sins. In the legal court you might see it of there was a debt racked up, a bank account you may say in his death paid our entire debt that we could again have a right relationship with God we could say all of those things we could say much more but this year at Good Friday what I'd like to do is just walk through each of the characters that we see here in Luke 23 certainly they felt scrambled certainly they didn't know what emotions they should have certainly they felt certain emotions they thought were right others they thought were wrong and they just had others they didn't have a clue what to do with And I want to walk through each of those characters and see where they were at. And I want to invite you to find yourself in this story as documented in Luke 23. We'll ask that question over and over tonight that I've already posed to you. What just happened? This thing is a poignant question that helps us to understand the gravity of this moment. We first encounter Simon, a man of Cyrene. We believe he was there with his two younger boys. He was well-intentioned. He wanted to come see this Jesus. What exactly he knew, we don't know. But the language of the text communicates that what he was asked to do was more than he was willing to do. Luke says the soldiers had to seize him. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark say that the soldiers forced him to carry this beam for Jesus. There's the idea there that he, he thought, this is more than I signed up for. He was probably a follower of Jesus at that point. But he found himself gripped by fear when he was encountered with this event. You can only imagine there were questions racing through his mind of, what else will the Romans do to me after I carry this beam? What will become of my boys in this madhouse certainly a rush of other terrorizing thoughts that are much too graphic to describe here tonight but as he went from a casual observer to a humiliated conscripted laborer surely Simon was asking himself what just happened friends Jesus death on the cross will do more than interrupt your plans for tonight or any other night they will radically be changed. That is, your plans will radically be changed by Jesus' death on the cross for you. For your entire life, not for a given day. It has that kind of profound effect upon us. And it must, and if it does not, we must go back and reflect on his death and exactly what he did for us. After Simon, we're brought to some of the mockers, the rulers and the soldiers that are there mocking Jesus. For them, this Good Friday was a spectacle. It was better than pro wrestling, better than any heavyweight boxing match. In fact, it was better than pay-per-view UFC fighting. They were there just to enjoy the moment, to see the craziness and take it all in and see what would happen. These mockers had no perspective beyond themselves, however. No feeling for the sufferer, No consideration for whether he was guilty or innocent. They simply thought a charlatan had been exposed. And they were there to enjoy his expense. Their focus was on enjoying the moment. And as I invite you to find yourself in the story, I, I ask you tonight, do you come seeing religion and religious leaders as charlatans? If you do, if if that's where you're at tonight, let me just affirm you in saying, in many cases, you might even say in most cases, you're exactly right. There's no shortage of religious charlatans in this world that are out to make a buck and gain on your back and expand their platform. Certainly the same could be said of many religions on the whole. Man-made religions that put man at the center instead of God. But would you consider the following? Just just consider this for me about religion. That we have more evidence for Jesus Christ than we do any other figure in ancient history. This is no man-made hoax. This is documented history. And we have stronger evidence for the Bible than we do for any other document in ancient history. See, there's no shortage of man-made religions. But my hope is grounded in this. And the reason you should listen tonight is grounded in this. Christianity is found in historically testable events with a mountain of evidence to support them. This really happened. And if you feel that religious leaders are just a bunch of charlatans, would you consider the following? That if the Bible is actually God's word, that the God of the universe that made, has made everything if he has actually spoken to us and we can open this book and see what he has said to us, we must listen. I'm not asking you here to listen to me, to give to this church, to build my social media platform. No, I'm saying the God of the universe has spoken and we must listen. But on that very first Good Friday, these sacrilegious mockers, they had their world turned upside down because as they were enjoying the moment and they were making a mockery of this man being led to the cross for a gruesome death, just imagine the confusion when the sun went dark at high noon and it stayed dark until 3 p.m. Imagine their confusion when the curtain in the temple, a 30-foot tall Curtain, Four inches thick with material is ripped in half from the top to the bottom. Imagine their conversation over drinks that afternoon. Certainly some continued to mock and they were unfazed in that way. But perhaps a few took the events to heart. But without a doubt, every single one of the mockers were left that afternoon asking, What just Next, we come to the first criminal, an angry sufferer, we might call him. In this moment, he didn't see who Jesus was. He saw Jesus as a genie, and he wanted to press the eject button on the spot in life. Most of us don't really want to identify with this criminal for pretty obvious reasons. But let me just ask you a couple of questions that may point out some ways that you're more like this criminal than you want to think. Like this criminal, do you merely run to Jesus when you want something? Or do you merely run to him when you want bad things to stop? See, in a lot of ways, we're more like this criminal than we want to really let on or admit But put yourself in the mind of this criminal for just a moment. Imagine what he would have been thinking. He treats Jesus like a religious piñata. But then Jesus cries out to God as if they have a significant relationship. And as soon as Jesus dies, the ground itself begins to shake as an earthquake rocks it, and the stones themselves are split in two. As this criminal groans for his final breaths, fully aware of his imminent death, he's left wondering what just happened. The next group I want to look at is actually from a bit earlier in the passage. It's the the women of Jerusalem that were wailing as Jesus passes by. Now, some think that these are followers of Jesus. Odds are they were not. In the, that culture, what you would have is at the, the death or some kind of tragic event, there would be paid mourners that would come to sort of set the mood and the tone uh, for that following. So these were probably um, paid mourners who were there. But they nevertheless understood there was a tragedy going on. They saw what was happening in front of their very eyes. They were well-intentioned yet misinformed. Like I said, they thought this was a tragedy and their focus was on showing the right emotion, doing what was perhaps culturally expected. In some ways, the women were exactly right. This was a tragedy, but it was a far greater tragedy than they even knew. It was a tragedy of cosmic proportions. Think about this with me. When we track all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we find Adam and Eve in the garden, and we find them rebelling against God's plan. And when they rebel in the fall of man, what we find is a curse being placed on this earth. That is the root of all the brokenness, all the despair, all the hurt that we find. And one specific result of that curse is that thorns would be produced by the ground. It would make things difficult. These are thorns that would choke out life. Thorns that for anyone that would dare come near that thorn and that plant would demand death of the intruder. As a means of self-preservation. But in John chapter 19, we read of Jesus taking on a crown of thorns. And the literal thorns that we brought by our disobedience, he took on. And those thorns that demanded death and choked out life... He put them on his head and forced them in so that the capillaries would explode and blood would be pouring down his face. You see, the thorns he wore were our thorns. And it was a crown of a king who wouldn't tax you, but a king who would pay your taxes. It was the crown of a king who didn't take your stuff for his good, but gave you his stuff for your good. The crown of a king who didn't punish you for your wrongdoing, but he himself took the punishment for your wrongdoing. This is not the narrative we expect, but it is a tragedy that these women saw, and it was a much greater tragedy than they realized, but they didn't see this. They didn't see it. I'm going to read back from verse 28 to highlight what Jesus says here, because his response is is one of the more shocking responses in this narrative. you just see it, he's walking by. The women are wailing for him. And his response is very bizarre if we take it at face value. Read verse 28 with me. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem... Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? You see, in Jesus' response, he's telling them that judgment is coming. And so the judgment you see on me is bad, but you should fear for yourself because the judgment that's coming is far worse. It's so intense, he said, that people would wish mountains would fall on them rather than face that judgment. It's so intense that people would wish they had never been born and they'd never had any children. Then Jesus makes a comparison to drive home the point. He makes a comparison about the intensity of the judgment. And he he likens it to a fire being lit with green wood. I want you to imagine in your mind, you're in the back, you're starting a bonfire, and you've got this wet green wood and you're trying to start a fire on there. You can imagine the intensity that that fire will burn with. Jesus says, That's the level of intensity of judgment that I'm seeing right now compared to what's coming for you. Now, mind you, at this point, when Jesus says this, this is not the beginning of his beatings. This is where Jesus, the judgment he's faced to date here, he's been beaten with wooden rods, similar perhaps to baseball bats. Then blindfolded, and the Roman soldiers come and punch him mercilessly in the face while he's blindfolded. And then they flog him. Perhaps you've heard about these floggings, a cat of nine tails with shards of bone and glass and other just devastating items that are meant to inflict as much pain as possible and expose as many internal organs as possible. Oftentimes, the criminals would die from this flogging before ever reaching the crucifixion. He then endures that. He's then given this hundred-pound beam on his back to carry to his crucifixion. And as he's going, he stumbles, he falls. Simon of Cyrene is helped, or comes and helps and carries the beam. This is where people say no longer, who is that? But they cease to recognize him as a man and say, What is that? And here Jesus says, This is like fire being lit on green wood compared to what's coming. Jesus invites them to imagine the judgment coming will be like lighting dry, combustible wood. We might say, imagine the explosion that would come from dried pine trees that have been marinating in gasoline when the match hits them. That is what's coming to us, friends, because of our sin. That's why Jesus says, don't wail for me. Wail for yourselves. Wail for your children recognize the consequences of turning from God and trying to do it your own way. Even in the midst of this good Friday that was good for us and bad Friday that was bad for Jesus, he has this eternal perspective. For the morning women and certainly anyone within earshot, if you hear this conversation go down and you're looking at it you can barely recognize this man as a man and he says don't cry for me cry for yourselves and for your children because it's about to be this terrible for you you are leaving that day saying what just happened this is not the kind of dialogue the kind of interaction that we have here in any other circumstance in any other expectations is not what you would see coming Certainly, how could this be worse is echoing horrifically through their minds. And Jesus just said it would be. The last group I want to turn your attention to is those who have their eyes opened and they've been enlightened. This is the centurion and the countrymen. These are the ones who, at the death of Jesus, say, Surely this was a righteous man. Surely he was innocent. They didn't see this as an event. They didn't see it as a spectacle. They knew Jesus died for me. Their focus was on the cost of their sin. You see, they understood that some can suffer for self-glory in various ways. And you remember it for a moment, but in the long run that becomes forgettable. Others you might see suffer for a cause and perhaps have a book written about them or a movie made and it's, It's inspirational. But Jesus, he didn't just suffer. He went beyond the worst suffering we can imagine. He actually died. And not for self-glory in a contorted sort of sense. Not for a cause. But for you. And that's not forgettable. It's not inspirational. That is transformational. That will change your life to know that he died for you, These people, the centurion, the countrymen, they knew what John Stott famously said. That before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, before we can see that, we have to see it as something done by us. That it was our sins that nailed him there. That put him on that cross. You see, Jesus' death wasn't just for you. It was by you and by me. We started the night by reflecting on events that leave us asking, what just happened? And at Jesus' crucifixion, here's what happened. Let me state it in as simple of terms as I can. Jesus died on the cross, not as a spectacle to bring a crowd, but as a sacrifice to bring a response. It was not a spectacle, and the goal was not to bring a crowd but it was a sacrifice and it was meant to bring a response. And the second criminal is the one we've not talked about yet, who said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Good Friday was not good for Jesus, but because it wasn't good for him, it can be good for you. It can be good for me. So I ask you tonight, will you respond to him? Have you given your life to him? Which of the two thieves that stood or were nailed on either side of him are you more like? Have you cried out to him and recognized and admitted and confessed that your sins put him on that cross and that the only way to find forgiveness and a right relationship with God is through putting your trust in his death on that cross? If you've not done that, will you tonight? He died for you. Maybe you're here and you have made that decision. You have given your life to Christ. Do you, like these women of Jerusalem, do you need to repent of feeling sorry for Jesus? He didn't die for your sympathy. He died for your sins. And maybe... Maybe just maybe tonight you're here and you've been feeling sorry for Jesus and not that sorry for your sins. It's not a fun thing to think about. But Jesus called to those those women, those mourners, was stop feeling so sorry for me and recognize why I have to do this. Recognize what has put me here and be sorry for that. As you begin to be sorry for that, then what he has done grows larger and larger and larger in your life to the point that it completely transforms you. And it turns your life around, and you find healing and forgiveness in places you never thought possible. Jesus didn't die for your sympathy, he died for your sins. When we ask ourselves what just happened, we know. Jesus died as a sacrifice for your sins to bring a response. It's a response of faith. I'm going to go to prayer. As I pray, the band will come up. We'll sing one song. And you may be dismissed at that point as you wish. But reflect tonight on what just happened at that cross. And where you are with the God of the universe tonight. Father God, you sent your Son to die in our place because of our sins. You sent Him in love because you love us and He loves us more than we can ever know. This Good Friday, God, we ask that you would By your spirit, help us to reflect. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to think of other lesser things. But to see who you are. To see what you did for us. And to respond in faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.